All right, guys, sit down. newborns, uh, Isabella Grace, who was born to Andrew and Kimberly Regwa, uh, October the 7th. We're a little overdue on that one. Uh, four pounds, uh, three ounces, and uh, mom and the baby are home and doing well. And last Sunday, uh, instead of being in church, Daniel and Cindy Peterson were having a baby and uh, gave birth to Micah James. Uh, that was at one o'clock. Were you at church? No. OK. Well, they could have come to first service and then delivered. Them. <laughs> just just totally kidding. Um, five pounds, uh, 13 ounces, 17 inches long, and they actually um, uh, brought their gift from the Lord with them to the service this morning. So congratulations, and we can rejoice with them on these, both of these couples. When God gives a baby, that's an eternal life. It's a soul that will live forever and uh, somewhere. And that's a huge responsibility and also a precious gift. So let's rejoice uh, with them. Uh, well, Carlos Cuellar, one of our elders, is going to be opening up the word to us this morning. Uh, Carlos is not only a wonderful fellow elder, but a, uh, a great brother in the Lord and a gift to all of us here at Cornerstone and a gift to me personally. Uh, I would love to have this man by my side at Cornerstone for the rest of my life. After I die, he can go wherever he wants to go. But, uh, uh, but he's a wonderful brother and a gifted young man, and we're blessed to have him here at Cornerstone and blessed to have him come and open up God's word to us this morning. So, Carlos, why don't you come? Let's give our brother a warm welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a privilege to open up God's Word with you uh, and to you. And uh, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 12 all the way to verse 14. And before we get started, let me ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we just come before you and we're, we're just humbled by what we've been able to do this morning, which is just stop everything to focus on the cross, to focus on Jesus and the gospel. Father, we're so unworthy, so floored by our sinfulness, and so overwhelmed by your grace and your love that you put on display in our Lord and Savior Jesus. We thank you for him, Father. We thank you for this time that we can just be in your presence as your people, people that you have redeemed and brought to yourself. And we thank you for the time that we can have in your word, a word that is powerful, that's living, that changes our lives, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only hear the words that you have for us this morning, but to do them, to be passionate people who are committed and zealous for doing your will. 
Father, we just pray for this time. Be with me, and if you don't show up, we are in trouble. And so we just pray for your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, if you were here last week, what we did is Pastor Milton opened up the word 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And what he did there is he began to unpack a theme that has to do with relationships, with community. Okay? And the, the passage is real simple. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to not relate to other people in the community, in the church, in your flesh. I don't want you to lash out at people. But instead, I want you to come over here, and I want you to parakaleo them. I want you to love them by exhorting them, by comforting them, by coming alongside them and walking with them. And the passage is powerful because it communicates several things. Number one, we are a community. We are a community. And as I said in the prayer, God has gone through great lengths to, to bring this together. It cost His Son everything for us to be here. And so we are a community. And we see that as Paul's telling Timothy, you've got to relate to people. You're a body. You're part of something now. And I want you to relate together. The passage also taught us another thing. That this community that God brought together, that it's messed up. It is messed up. We are imperfect people. We have not arrived yet. We are still in process. God is at work in us. And we're not glorified yet. We have problems. And, and, and this comes out in the passages as, as Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you are going to relate with people and two people that you are going to want to lash out at. They're going to sin against you. They are going to hurt you. They're going to frustrate you. They are going to do horrible things to you. But I want you to relate to them in a Christ-like way, the way I'm calling you to do in this passage. And so we see that we're an imperfect community. And the third thing we, see, we saw from the passage last week is that we're to be a different community. There's all sorts of communities all over the world, all, all over, you know, even in this country, in our town, in our neighborhood, there's people that get together. But we, as the body of Christ, as the church, we are to be different. And God has made it possible that we can be different. And so in the passage, he calls Timothy, he calls Timothy to, to, um, let me get here. What he does is he just gives a simple command. And he says, look, stop living in your own power. Stop living in the flesh. You can't live, you can't do community the way I'm calling you to do it like that. And, and resist your desire in and of yourself to, to operate in this community the way that you might want to. But instead, relate the way that I've called you to. Be like Jesus. Be Christ-like in this community. And so we see that. And this is important for us, guys. We need to do this. We need to function the way that God is calling us to be in, in this community. We need to be Christ to each other. Because if not, what the Scripture says will come true. We will bite and we will devour each other. We will consume each other. And this church will be destroyed. And you don't have to go far to, to read about these kind of stories. Uh, Ken Sandy, who operates Peacemaker Ministries and who's a Christian attorney who's passionate about reconciliation and about fixing broken communities like this one. He says, in, a, in the next 24 hours, 1,200 U.S. Christian families will be consumed by divorce. In the next 24 hours, 50 churches will burst into major scarring conflict. 
In the next 24 hours, 50 pastors will give up on ministry. And in the next 24 hours, Christians, get this, Christians will spend $55 million on litigation against each other. And so we need to take what, what Paul would have us see today very seriously. Very seriously. Notice what, what we didn't see last week. What we didn't see is, how do we get there? How do we do this? Paul is just saying, look, don't do this, but do this. But he doesn't tell you how to get there. He doesn't show you how to get there. I want to take you to a passage, this passage, Colossians 3, to show you what we need to do to be a Christ-like community. And what we need to do is, and what it's all about is, what we put on, what we wear, our clothes. Now, clothes matter. Okay, we have some fashion people here. We have people who likes clothes? Raise your hand. All the ladies' hands go up, right? All right. Clothing matters. You need to dress according to who you are and what God is calling you to be. And and we see this in normal in, in normal everyday life. If you um. If you're going to go up against Michael Phelps, Olympic swimmer, you're not going to show up in, in this. You're just not going to do that. You're not, he's going to toast you. He's, he's, going to, he's going to swim all over you. Instead, you're going to have to do this. You've got, you got to show up in the Speedos. You've got to put the, the goggles on. You've got to have the hat on, right? So you've got to be clothed appropriately. If you're going to fight fires, if you're going to fight fires, Rescue people out of burning buildings. You're not going in like this. You're just not going to do that. It's bad. Instead, you got to suit up. You got to put on the gear. Okay. If if you are going to serve in our military and you're going to Iraq or Afghanistan soon, don't get off the plane wearing this. It's just a bad idea. Trust me. What you want to do instead is you need to put on what you need and who you are. You're a soldier, right? You're going to fight. You need to have the gear. And lastly, for, especially for you young men, okay, young men, listen up. If you want to meet and marry a beautiful, godly, Christian woman, don't dress like this. Do not dress like that. Ladies, amen. Instead... You want to dress something like this. It's Justin Chow, for, for those of you who don't know who that is, up here in the front row. Thank you, Justin, for, for serving as our male model. But in the same way, guys, and in all seriousness, in the same way, if we're going to be the community that God has called us to be, if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, then we need to clothe ourselves with certain things. And Colossians gives us six qualities that we need to put on in order to be a Christ-like community. I want, I, want you, I want you to see as we walk through this passage, six things you have to put on. You have got to put these on. If we don't put these on here at Cornerstone, we are in major trouble. Let's read the passage together. Verse 12, Colossians chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on hearts of compassion... Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and graciously forgiving each other when anyone has a complaint against another. 
Just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. And above all these things, put on love, which is the uniting bond of perfection. When we get to Colossians, when we, when we enter into Colossians, we're, we're, we're reading Paul's letter to a very young church. Five, six years old at the most when Paul writes them. He's never been there. He's never seen them, but he's heard about them. He, he's in love with them. He's, he's passionately concerned about this community. And so he says, look, you guys, I want you, I want you to be a Christ-like community. And, and, and the way he starts is he says, realize who you are. Realize who you are. Look at chapter 3 with me, if you have your Bible. Verse 1. Look at who you are, guys. You have been raised with Christ. Verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 4. Christ is your life. Verse 10. You have put on Christ. Now, he says you've put on the new man. But Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He says, you've put on the new man. You've put, you've put on Christ positionally when you came to know him. And as a result, Christ is in you. He says in verse 11, Christ is all and in all. In this community, Christ has manifest himself. You guys have Christ in you, and you are in Christ. And so when we get to verse 12, he says, Therefore, therefore, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on what I'm about to tell you. Put this on. And notice the language there. Those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, speaks about us being God's people. This is the language that was used for Israel. God's, God's people. We're not Israel as a church, but we're like Israel in that we are the people of God. We're God's community. And notice what we are. We're a chosen community. He says, as those who have been chosen. God, we didn't, this wasn't our idea. God brought us together. He drew us to himself to be cornerstone. And what you see right now, looking around you, this is God's project. This is God's doing. He says, you've been chosen. And now, he says, you're an owned community. God owns you. You're his. This is his. Cornerstone is his. And then he says, you are a holy community set apart you're no longer to be doing what you did before you together now have a new job description you are to exist to do what god has set out for you to do and then lastly he says you're a loved community because you have you have drank in and been lavished upon with god's love he says now as those kind of people you're in christ positionally he says now put on christ practically he says in your life Put on Christ. And the word put on means literally clothe yourself. Put on clothes. It can speak of literal clothes or it can speak of attributes, characteristics that we want to put on, that we need to put on. He's saying, look, envelop yourself in this. Live this out. Like clothes that can be seen and manifest by people who see you, be Christ. Put on these things. And I want you to realize this is not just a list. He's not just giving you a list and you write these on post-it notes and you stick them on your body and then you put it on and that's it. What he's saying is he says, what you're doing is you're putting on Jesus. You're putting on Christ-likeness. And so we're putting on him practically so that every day we are relating to each other as Jesus Christ. 
And, and as we walk through these qualities this morning, I want you to see that Jesus is the example for every one of them. He lived them out perfectly. And so he, he's our motivation. He's our example. And implied in this verb put on is a couple of things we need, to, we need to realize. We've got to have this under our belt and, and understand this. Number one, if you're putting something on, you've got to take something off. See, God saved us out of spiritual homelessness. We were dirty. We were trashed. We stank. We had nasty clothes on. And God says, take those off. And put on what I'm going to give you. Put me on. And so we need to take, be taking stuff off. And he actually walks through that in verse 5, verse 8 through 9. He talks about the things as a community. We need to be shedding. We need to be getting rid of this stuff. But in its place, he says, you need to put this on. And then notice also another implication. He says, what he's saying by putting on, he says, you, you don't have this in and of yourself. You don't wake up in your own power and in your own strength, in your own flesh, humble. And patient and loving. He says, What you gotta do is you gotta grab Christ, you gotta appropriate him, and you gotta put him on. You can't just muster this stuff up in your own power. He's saying, Realize this, realize that. And so Christ isn't just the example, he's not just the motivation for putting on, he's our source, he's the one we gotta go to if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna get community right. And so let's begin by looking at the, at the, at the qualities here. The first one, is as a Christ-like community, we need to put on hearts of compassion. Verse 12, hearts of compassion. Literally, intestines of compassion, bowels of compassion, inward parts of compassion. I'm sorry, there you go. Um, this, this, this word was what the ancients used to talk about their, their emotions. It was the seat of emotions. When you were nervous, you felt it in your gut. When you were in love, you felt it here. It, it's, it's where our emotions reside. And so he's saying, look, in your innermost being, if you're going to be a Christ-like community with each other, you've got to care about each other. You've got to be broken over each other. You've got to care about your brothers and your sisters when they're suffering, when they're in need, when sin is weighing down on them. And so this, this heart of compassion is intense emotional concern for those who are suffering, who are in need. And we see this in, in God. He says... God says, or the scriptures say, the Lord is full of compassion. He's merciful. And we also see it in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something. If you look at Jesus, when it talks about him being compassionate, he was compassionate when he saw the crowd that they didn't have a shepherd. He was compassionate when he saw the people that they were hungry and been following him for three days. He was compassionate when he saw two lepers who were blind on the way from Jericho up to Jerusalem when he was going to die. And he had compassion on them. And and he, he came across a widow in Galilee who who had lost her only son, who was by herself. And then when he saw her, it says he had compassion on her. But notice with Jesus, every time that he had that gut feeling of compassion, that, that intense care and concern for people, it always led to something. He did something about it. When he saw the crowds without a shepherd, he fed them. When he saw the crowds who were hungry, he, 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 ta- I mean, when he taught the crowds when they didn't have a shepherd and he fed them when they were hungry. When he saw the two blind men, he healed them and he raised that woman's son, that widow's son from the dead. He always did something. So our compassion for one another in this community not only needs to be in our, our hearts, but it needs to overflow towards one another. And it has to happen even with people in this community who you have problems with, who have troubled you, who have said mean things about you, who have slandered you, who have done things to, to hurt you. Think about the Good Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Jews hate Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. And when this Samaritan saw that Jew dying in, in a puddle of blood on the side of the road, 
It said he had compassion on him. An enemy. And, and, and it, he went through great expense. He, he, he picked him up. He took him to the hotel. He spent money on him. He bandaged his wounds. He did whatever it took because he cared about this guy. How much more for us who know each other, who are a family, even when we've wronged each other, even when it's hard, we need to have hearts of compassion. The second thing we need to do is we need to have, we need to put on kindness. <clears throat> kindness. Kindness is the quality of being good or generous with one another. I like what Alexander Strauss says. He says, kindness is a readiness to do good, to help, to relieve burdens, to be useful. Kindness is love with work clothes on. And Jesus, we see when we see scripture, we see Jesus putting on his work clothes for us. Coming to this earth, extending God's kindness to us. We see from God that it's unconditional and done to people who don't deserve it, who, who are our enemies. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies, do good to them, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind <clears throat> to the ungrateful and the evil. It was said of Thomas Cranmer, who was the Archbishop of, of the Church of England, it was said of him, to do him harm was to beget a kindness from him. He, as the pastor of that church, if anyone did anything wrong to him, he immediately sought to go after that person aggressively and love on that person in a very tangible way. And that's what we need to be here at Cornerstone. We, we can't just be sitting around waiting for people to come show us kindness. We need to be actively pursuing one another and, and, and lavishing each other with kindness. That's what's going to make this community, this church, Christ-like. It gives us a, a third quality. As a Christ-like community, we need to put on humility. Humility. Humility is seeing yourself as insignificant, as low. And, and then valuing God above all else, but valuing people above yourself and not only just valuing them, but, but because you value them and you see them as greater than yourself, you, you submit yourself to their needs, to their interests, like Philippians tells us. It's the opposite of self-focus. It's the opposite of self-exaltation. It's the opposite of self-love. It's getting your mind off yourself, putting yourself last on the list and focused on other people. Jesus was the ultimate example of this. We see this in Philippians 2, the classic passage on humility. It says that Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. The preeminent one said, I'm going to become the, la the least servant of all. And, and he came to earth and regarded your needs and my needs above his own. You know why it's so hard to be humble? Not only because we love ourselves too much, but it's because we don't trust God and we're worried and we're fearful about what's going to happen when we get our eyes off ourselves. What's going to happen to me when I start loving other people? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to meet my needs? Who's going to love me? And I think we're under the delusion that our love is the greatest love. But, but God is the one who's going to take care of us. And you see this in Philippians. When, when it says that Jesus humbled himself, what does it say in verse 9? It says, And God the Father highly exalted him. See, the Father was taking care of Jesus. Jesus didn't have to worry about himself because there was someone that was looking out for him. The Father, it says, highly exalted him. And, and, and we need to trust God that as we, as we 
as we set ourselves aside and as we look to other people in this church, in our care groups, in our families, in, in, in our Bible studies, that as we focus on them and stop loving ourselves, that God will take care of us. In fact, he promises that. James 4, 6, he says, God gives grace to the humble. He takes care of the humble. He will take care of you if you humble yourself. But he's, a pro, uh, he's opposed to the proud. So we need to be humble. As, as a Christ-like community, we need to be humble. There's a fourth quality that we need, to, we need to put on. We need to put on gentleness. Gentleness. Some of your translations might say meekness. You've heard that word meekness. I was reading about one humorist who was trying to come up with a clever acronym for a, 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 a society of weak Christians and timid people. And so he came up with the acronym DOORMATS. Okay? Dependent organization of really meek and timid souls. And, and their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth. If that's okay with everybody. I love that. Uh, you know, that's what people in the world think of gentleness. That's what people in the world think of meekness. They think it's weakness. But when you study the word and when you see it in scripture, what you realize is that people who are meek know they're powerful. They know they have the power with their tongue to wreck lives and to damage and and to take down a church. They know that they can inflict harm on people, that they can gossip, that they can do horrible things in this community. But what Christians are to be when they're gentle is they're to be restraining that power. They're 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 to hold back their desire to lash out like we saw last week. Their desire to punch and run, to, to, to lash out at people and to respond with harshness. And instead, as they restrain that power, what they do is in, in place of that, they put forward a picture that's even more powerful. See, we, we want, we dream, like Milton was talking about last week, we dream about setting someone up in the corner and just going to town on them. We have perfect conversations that we want to we go over with people when they've wronged us. You did this and, you, and we just want to pummel people. And we think that's going to fix things. We think that's going to right things. And God is saying, when you put on gentleness, you are putting, you're, you're showing some, that, that person something way more powerful. And it has the power to change their lives. It has the power to glorify God and to put his gospel and his son on display. And that's what we need to be. We need to be gentle. I went to grade school with a guy named Chris. Not Chris Johnson. But this guy, Chris, he went through puberty in kindergarten. I mean, the guy was, he, when all of us were puny little sixth graders, this guy was, um, he was just stacked. And you just didn't mess with Chris. You just didn't mess with him. And there was a guy, there was a bully in our school, Reynaldo. And Reynaldo always pushed people's buttons. He was just going after you and just, he knew how to poke you. He did it to Chris. Reynaldo wasn't, you know, it was Chris and Reynaldo. And, and Reynaldo just kept poking at him. And, and Chris never, ever lashed out. He never did anything to this guy. Man, I always dreamed that I could be like Chris. I was like, Lord, why didn't you make me 6'5 and, you know, 250? I could just crush, you know, the oppressors of the orphans and the widows and, 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 and just take these Reynaldos out of the world for you. And uh, I, I always wished I was big like him. And uh, I think God didn't give me that because I, I wouldn't have been gentle. I would have wanted to use that kind of power to do 
what Christ didn't do. You see, Jesus is a picture of this. He says, I'm gentle in, in heart. And he came as the all-powerful God, the, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He came to earth, came to Jerusalem, where he could have wiped everybody out. He could have pummeled that city. He could have put all his enemies into a corner and just obliterated them. But what do we see Jesus doing? He restrains that power, and instead he puts on a more powerful picture of love, of, of grace, and, and that's what God is calling us to do. I think of, of women who God is calling in, in the home to, 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 to submit to less than perfect husbands who are often sinful, sometimes oppressive. And it's the same picture here. It's, it's women put on a gentle and quiet spirit so that instead of what you want to do and that's lash out against your husband, you instead you put on that picture of Jesus Christ. And that, that is what will, that God can use. God can use that to change a wicked man. In an unsaved husband. And that's what, that's what we need to put on, gentleness. So that's the fourth quality. And then there's a fifth. He says, as a Christ-like community, you want to be Christ-like? You want to be the community that, that you already are positionally in Christ? Then you need to put on patience. Patience. And patience is a willingness to graciously bear with our imperfect brothers and sisters. You see, we haven't arrived yet. Raise your hand if you're perfect here at Cornerstone. Lightning's going to come down and strike you. Um, no one has arrived. No one has arrived. We are all in process. God is at work in us. And what patience is, is seeing your brother and sister, not for what they are right now, but what they are in Christ and what they're going to be one day. And then it's trusting God that his plan of taking your brother and sister or sister along is perfect. You see, we want people sanctified now. We want people perfect today. We want people to stop wronging us and get their act together, and get their sin taken care of, their sin problem, so we don't have to put up with that kind of stuff anymore. But God is saying, you know what? I'm at work in your brothers and sisters. Don't worry about that. What I want you to do is I want you to be patient. Patient in their weaknesses, in their failures, and even patient when they're sinning at you and against you. And even when it's repeated and constant and it doesn't stop. He's saying, I, that's when I want you to be patient and trust me and see them for what I'm doing in them and what they're going to become. So these are the five qualities he gives us up front in verse 12. And then notice what he does in verse 13. What he does, he says, look, you have to put on these qualities. And it should be already a little obvious to us why we're going to have to, we're going to, have to put them on. We're imperfect, right? We need to put these on if we're going to be like Jesus. We're messed up. But he says, you're going to have to do very specific things. I'm calling you to bear with one another and to be forgiving each other. And you cannot do that. You cannot do that if you don't have these things on. If you're not clothed in this stuff, this can't happen. And the first one is bearing with one another. He says, you need to bear with one another. And what this, what this means, in just very simple terms, guys, it means not giving up on each other. It means being and staying committed to each other, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how many times we fail each other, that we stay committed to one another. Why? Because we're a family. Because God has brought this together. Because we're His. And, and the call that He's giving us in this word is present tense. It's saying, until you die or until Jesus comes back, you have to continually be 
bearing with one another. That means you have to be tolerating and enduring under whatever goes on in this community without giving up. And we, we, don't, we don't naturally want to do that. We either do two things. We either fight, like we saw last week. We lash out, punch and, you know, punch and, and beat, or we run away. Or if we're Milton's brother, we do both, punch and run. But we, 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 we either fight or we flee. And God is saying, that's not an option, you guys. I'm calling you as my community to bear up and to put up and to tolerate one another forever in this community. I think of Robert Chapman. He was an English pastor and he was really well known for his, his, just his grace, his gentleness, his, 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 his desire to see people reconciled. And he was such a gracious man. He, he came and, and tried to mediate between two pastors of one church. And these two pastors just were not getting along. There was a lot of tension, a lot of history. And they weren't seeing eye to eye on, on doctrine and, and, and other things together. And, and one of the pastors ended up leaving. He, he bailed. And after the fact, uh, Robert Chapman brought them together and, and he said... He asked that pastor, he said, why did you leave so soon? Why did you leave so soon? And the pastor said, I, I gave it. I gave it six months. I gave it six months. And Robert Chapman said, at our church, we would have given it at least six years. And the point is, we, we, we can't say, you know, this is, the, this is the final time that you've wronged me. This is the last time. I can't endure this anymore. I'm out of here. Or you know what? The leadership of Cornerstone has failed for the 20th time or the 15,000th time. It's probably Margaret. And I'm out of here. I'm done with I'm going to another church because I'm tired of this. We need to be bearing with one another, gracious with one another. And so that's the first thing. And then he says, you've got to be forgiving each other. It's not just enough to, to bear with one another, but because you're going to sing against each other, because you're going to wrong each other, you need to forgive each other. And the word is beautiful. This is not the typical word for forgiveness, amy. It's the other word, charizomai, from charis, which is grace, and, and what he's saying is, you're going to have to give grace and extend favor to each other in the form of forgiveness. And it pictures forgiveness as a gift that we give each other when we've messed up again, you know, when we've messed up with each other. It's the same word when we, in Luke chapter 7, when, when the prostitute comes to the Pharisee's house and she's anointing his head and Jesus tells a parable to the, to the Pharisee. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 and when they could not repay, it says, he graciously forgave them both. Literally in the Greek, not having it within themselves, he graciously forgave. And we see several things from this word. We see that it's a gift. We've got to give to people even when they've hurt us. And that's not easy, guys. When someone in this community has wronged you, has hurt you, has introduced a lot of pain and suffering into you or your loved one's lives, but the reality is that, that we need to give this, this forgiveness. In, in, in reality, it's, it's, not, it's not ever deserved. It's always undeserved. When, when we've released hurtful words and they've gone and they pierce someone's heart, we can't get those back. When someone's been abused or molested or, or something has happened in this community, we can't bring that back. It's undeserved, but we're still called to give. And not only the action of, of giving that gift, but, but with a heart that wants to give it, that's eager to give it, and, and, and it desires, longs to give it. Where we're giving that gift and saying, you know what the gift I'm giving you is? I want to give you the gift of being reconciled with you. And, and I, I, want to be, I want to give you, our, I want to continue this relationship. I want it restored. And I want to continue to relate to you 
with, un, with, with love that's not going to stop and with favor and grace that I don't want to remove from you. And, and that's the point of this, this kind of forgiveness, guys. It's relational. See, God doesn't want us sitting against each other and then leaving and leaving wreckage behind. He wants us sticking together. We're a family. We, there's no bailing out. We've got to stay together. And that requires that we, that we forgive And it's present tense also. It says you've got to be continually forgiven. That means you have to forgive the same person multiple times. That means you have to be willing to forgive the same person that has sinned the same way multiple times against you. John Perkins was an African-American preacher, evangelist, and civil rights reformer. He grew up in Mississippi where... In a, in a small town where his older brother was murdered by the town marshal. And he, he, he left, he, he ran away from the town, uh, never, vowing never to go back. <clears throat> but after becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, he was determined to go back to his hometown to preach the gospel, to try to bring reconciliation, to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he was repeatedly beaten and harassed and imprisoned in his hometown. And he recalls a near-death beating that he had in a Mississippi jail where for hours he was brutally kicked and stomped on, beaten with billy clubs. The drunk police officers had unloaded guns that they were firing at his head to taunt him. And one officer, towards the end of the evening, forced a fork down his throat. Two years later, when he was recovering from surgery, in a bed, he, he wrote this. He said this. He said, I began to see with horror how hate could destroy, could destroy me more devastatingly and subtly than any destruction I could bring on those who had wronged me. I could try and fight back as many of my brothers had done, but if I did, how would I be different from the whites who hate? And what, where would hating get me? Anyone can hate. This whole business of hating and hating back is what keeps this vicious circle of racism going. And then he writes, The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in that bed. An image formed in my mind. The image of the cross of Christ and Christ on that cross. It blotted out everything else in my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced it himself. And he prayed God to forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they know not what they're doing. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave I couldn't get away from that. The Spirit of God kept working on me and in me until I could say with Jesus, I forgive them too. I promised him that I would return good for evil and not evil for evil. And he gave me the love I knew I would need to fulfill his command to me to love my enemies. You see, this illustration of, of, of Perkins, it, it points to something and that's where are we going to get this kind of forgiveness? Where are we going to, where does this come from? And I think Perkins hit on the head. It comes from looking at the cross. In fact, the passage says, forgive one another just as, in the same manner as the Lord Christ, Jesus, graciously forgave you, so also should you. And the point is that, guys, if we're going to be a community of people who forgive each other, no matter how many times we keep sinning against each other, no matter how severe it is, 
no matter how hard it is, the only way that we can do that is by looking at Jesus Christ and following in his example, who, who not only forgave us once in point in time positionally, but he continually forgives daily, no matter how many times we've sinned against him. So we see that these are the things we're going to be called to do. And then in verse 14, he brings us to the final quality. As a Christ-like community, we need to put on love. We need to put on love. He says, above all these things that I've already given you, the five things that I've given you of Christ-likeness, put on love. He says, this is the supreme quality. I love what Strauch says. He has, he has what he calls the math of love. And it's this. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Five minus one equals zero. The point is, if you, if, you, if you have these five qualities that we've already looked at, but you don't have love, you have nothing. You have nothing. And notice, if you, if you look at the, at the, I don't know if your passage has it or not, but it says put on, not just love, put on the love. And when he's saying the love, he's referring back to a very specific love. The love that Christ has shown you. Put that love on, because it's what unites all the other things together. And so he says, it's the uniting bond. It brings all these other five qualities together and it empowers them, it energizes them, it makes them come alive so that you have loving compassion, loving kindness, loving humility, loving gentleness, loving patience. And then what love does at, at the end of verse 14, it is the uniting bond that produces perfection. Guys, as we grow in course, as we become more mature, what's going to do it is if we have if we've clothed ourselves with, with the love of Christ. If we have that on, we are going to be growing in maturity and in perfection. That's the hope. You look at a passage like this and you're like, man, being a part of this body is painful and it's, it's, it's hard. What's, where's the hope? The hope is as we put these things on, we become like Jesus Christ. As we conclude, there's a... You know, you may be sitting here and, and you're either new to church or you... You know, we're at different stages in our love for this community. We all love this community at different levels. But we need to be people who, who are passionate about this church because we're passionate about Jesus. I love what one evangelical said. He said, you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. You can't love Jesus and hate his wife. And we are his wife. We are the body we are what Jesus is passionate about and love. And you don't mess with his wife. You don't mess with his wife. That means we need to love each other. Community matters to God. And, and there's hope because it does a lot of things. We, sometimes we wish, God, why couldn't you have just brought us and transported us to, to perfection already? Why do we have to go through all this? Why didn't you just save us to heaven and we could have just been a community there, perfect and sinless and without all these problems and hurt and pain and sin? But God is at work in his perfect wisdom and he, there's certain benefits for being in this community. Number one, we see our need for Jesus. We reach out to him daily and appropriate him and take him on and, and want him. And we also experience being like him. You, you live in a community like this and you're going to have to be Jesus and you're going to feel what it feels like to be Jesus as you do these things. And also it, it grows us to be more like him. Together we are being sanctified in this community, in this, in this body. And lastly, it's a picture. There's no other community that's, going, that's, that's happening like this. We're not perfect, but we are very different than any other community on this planet. 
And, and we are a picture. If we're putting these things on, we will be a picture of what Christ is doing. We'll be a picture of him and of his gospel and of his grace. And lastly, we bring God glory. We bring God glory. Would you, would you bow your head with me? And let's, let's just go to the Lord and let's pray that he would give us hearts that, that want to, and long to put these things on. And as, as we pray, I want to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to take up an offering. God even uses our money to build this community up, to, to grow this body. And so we want to offer our, our giving to the Lord with hope that he's going to do something amazing with it. And also feel free to put in your comment card if you have a, a prayer request or a need. So we want to hear about that. So put that in the offering as the men come forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. 